Welcome to the brand new series of Benjamin Naomi Kay's Talk To Me. Today on the show, I'm joined by Irish star of Mortal Engines and Fantastic Beasts and Where To Find Them, Ronan Raftery. We chat all things acting, working with Peter Jackson and more. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the brand new season of Benjamin May McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and we're so excited to be back for 2019 in our sixth season of interviews. Today on the show, I'm so excited to be joined by Ronan Raftery. We had a chat about a week ago about his work in Mortal Engines, which is still in cinemas now. It's a huge blockbuster produced by Peter Jackson, as well as his work on Fantastic Beasts, a couple of BBC series, and a whole lot more There are truly some fantastic interviews coming up this season as well, so it's going to be another jam-packed year full of exciting talk show content. But now, here's my chat with Ronan Raftery. Enjoy! Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. No problem, thanks for having me. So, Ronan, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performing arts? Well, when I was quite young, I was in school, um, and I hadn't... I hadn't really found anything that I loved at that stage. I mean, I was only 12, but I wasn't very good at sports. I wasn't particularly social. Um, and then I was, uh, we were all asked to audition for this play. And, um, and I got cast in one of the lead roles and just loved it. And uh, I loved staying late after school and rehearsing and getting to know other other people from different years. And, you know, there were a, few, a small group of people within that who kind of, who were beginning to take it a bit more seriously. They were boys who were a lot older than me. Um, and I just loved the whole atmosphere and the camaraderie of it. And um, I just kind of was hooked and kept doing it. And then by the time I was about 15, then I decided I definitely wanted to do it as a, as a career, uh, if possible. And from that point at around age 15, how did you go about making it happen and realizing your goal? Um, well, I, I kept doing play school every year. We were, I was lucky enough to be in a school that had its, that had a theatre, um, so that was the first thing. Um, and I asked my parents then, could I do um, uh, extracurricular theatre? So I joined the National Performing Arts School in Dublin, um, and I go there on the weekends, and I did acting classes and uh, dancing and singing and all that kind of stuff. And once or twice a year, then we put on a play um, somewhere in Dublin. So I was kind of just constantly doing it, and um, when I was in school, I'd do it then, and then outside of school, I'd be I'd be doing it at the uh, at the National Performing Arts School or the factory, as it was called. And how nervous were you when you got your first professional job? Well, it was actually when I was twelve. It was that same year that I first did that play. I got cast in a tiny little lad <laughs> in uh, in Dublin, which uh, just reared its ugly head there recently. Somebody found it and posted it somewhere quite quite uh, quite sweetly. Um, so I, I was I was pretty nervous, but I was more excited to be honest. You know, when you're that young and you're you're just thrown into something so strange and so so new. I, I don't remember being particularly nervous. I just remember being so excited and so so pleased to be a part of something so cool and so strange and so different from my life up until that point. Um, but I do remember then doing my first play at the Olympia Theatre in Dublin when I was about fifteen, sixteen, and. Uh, I remember being completely terrified at that because suddenly instead of there being 20 people or 30 people on set, there was, you know, nearly a thousand or 800 or whatever the capacity of that theater is people, 800 people staring at you under hot lights. And if you make a mistake, that's it. And feeling that pressure for the first time uh, on that scale was, um, was definitely 
terrifying, but uh, but also exhilarating. You know, those I felt those are the kinds of challenges that I wanted to that I wanted to face. Mm. And clearly, you've done a substantial amount of theatre. Do you find that a very different discipline to TV or film? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yeah, yes and no. I mean, it is. It's definitely a different set of muscles, but at the core of it, it's identical. You know, it's finding a way through a character and expressing it as believably as possible. Um, but certainly, in the, the nuts and bolts of it are quite different. Um, I love, I love, um, I love when I'm filming something. I love that it's something new. Uh, it's something new every day. I love that a different scene, possibly with a different uh, cast member in a different location, and you've got to. It's it's sometimes easier to be in the moment with these things uh, uh, when you're filming, whereas on stage it's the it's the entire story told every day in full every night. But the beauty of that is that everybody in the company kind of comes together. Everybody comes in at the same time. Everybody puts in the same hours. You all kind of pull together as a as a single unit to tell the entire story to a different set of people every night, and I love that. But uh, there's, certain, there's obviously technical things as well about voice projection or keeping a, a voice projection in theatre and keeping the kind of burning fire and anger of a character, keeping that small in front of a camera when necessary. Um, but you kind of learn those things as you go through by making dreadful mistakes and being terrible at various times. <laughs> <laughs> so which would you like to do more of in the future, TV and film or theatre? Oh, either or. It's not... I don't really... I don't really choose projects based on the discipline really it's depends what comes up at what time and who's involved and what the story is what the character is and if that's theater next then great um and if it's more tv great and if it's another film fine but um i definitely i haven't been on stage for about three years so i am uh, i am definitely itching to get back on stage but um but for the right reason you know it's a it's a huge commitment to do a play um and I love it, but uh, I like to make sure it's for something that, that I definitely feel hugely passionate about and that I'm going to fall in love with. Mm. So what is your dream play at the moment? <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to say until it's put in front of you, you know. I, I've do, I guess I've done previously, I've done a lot of uh, older plays, kind of classics. I've done um, some Sean O'Casey plays, and I've done Shakespeare, of course, and I've done a few of the, the big the big hitters in uh, in 20th century drama so I would love to do a new play I'd love to work with I'd love to work with the next generation of, of playwrights that are emerging now well like they're always emerging but now in particular there's some uh, incredible plays going around so I'd love to get involved in something like that uh, if possible but, uh, but I'd also do Hamlet if needs be you know <laughs> Well, you can only do Hamlet, I think, eighteen or forty. That's that's the two ages. So yeah, that, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. I think I need a bit more tragedy in my life. Isn't that what they say? You have to have had a miserable life to uh, play Hamlet properly. I think I'm having too good a time. Well, it certainly <laughs> sounds like it because you've just done uh, Mortal Engines, which was a big global blockbuster mm. produced by Peter Jackson. How did that project first present itself mm. to you? Uh, well, it was um, I was uh, contacted by, or my agents were contacted by Amy Hubbard, who's the casting director for for all of Peter Jackson's movies. She did The Hobbits and everything, um, and I know her quite well. So she she got me involved and um, just sent me some scenes to read, and I went in and sent a few tapes down to New Zealand, and then they they all flew up. All the producers and directors flew up to meet a few of us, um, so I had quite a long meeting with them. 
um, and read some more of the scenes and chatted about the project and the character and kind of what they were looking for and what I felt I wanted to bring. And uh, yeah, and then they rather brilliantly asked me to uh, ask me to jump in. So it was yeah, it was very exciting. And when you're working on a project like that, where the scale is so large, is it very different to working on some of the smaller scale films or films involving less CGI and effects? Yeah, on certain days. On certain days, there are huge, you know, the sets that they build down there and uh, in, in their studio in Stone Street, is, they are epic. You know, they are just aircraft hangars filled with full replicas of city streets and and half of buildings and working trams and underground stations and everything. So, yeah, you're not going to get that in a small-budget indie film. But um, then there are days where you're just sitting in a room opposite another actor uh, having a conversation about something dreadful that's happened. And in those moments, in the moments that really matter in the film, then the budget doesn't is irrelevant. You know, it's just you and another actor and and your director working together to try and bring the scene to life and if it's a hundred million or a hundred thousand um, pound budget, um, those those moments must be given equal weight and equal equal focus. Hmm. Now, the director Christian Rivers, I believe he was a first time director. So, did you find his style different, mm. and was he adapting as he was learning more from working on set with you all? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're all we're all you know you're all learning all the time and something like that because a film of that scale is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. There isn't just there isn't just a script on day one and then everybody goes and shoots it. You know, it's 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 always changing. It's always it's always evolving. There's notes coming in from everyone to everyone. Um, so everybody's everybody's evolving and changing throughout it. But Christian, I, even it was his first feature, but uh, he's he's directed a few shorts which were amazing and. Uh, and he's also been involved in that studio for 15 years or 20 years or something. You know, he was the, I think, one of the senior art directors or senior senior technical art directors on Lord of the Rings. So it's not like he was an inexperienced filmmaker. And he was just moving roles. So he, he, he slotted into that very comfortably. It'd be like he'd been doing it all his life, to be honest. It was... And he's a real actor's director, you know. He, like I was saying about the the CGI and the budget, but in the moment with Christian, it doesn't. The size of the film is irrelevant. He's only he's only interested in figuring out each individual moment with the with the actor and how best to convey that to the audience. Um, and then after we all leave, then there's a huge big technical <laughs> technical nightmare for them to unpick with the CGI and in the edit and everything that we're not involved in, but. In the principal photography, in the, in the main filming of the uh, of the movie, uh, Christian very much focuses on the on the story and on the characters. So it was a brilliant experience. That's wonderful to hear. And you mentioned that there were notes and things coming in at various times. How did those notes mm-hmm. change what you were doing? Was it new scripts or new lines, or was it more general stuff mm-hmm. in the film? Yeah, for me, new scripts and new lines. Not an entire new script, you know, but uh, tweaks and tweaks and changes and rewrites and it's just one of the I mean it sounds quite stressful and it can be quite stressful but it's really a brilliant thing because you have they have such a you know we, we were talking about budget already earlier when you have the money you, that means you have the time to take your time so the first 20 minutes of the film that might take two or three months to film and then when they have something together that they can they can roughly edit together and have a look at. They can kind of see where they're at, um, 
in the studio and the director can see it and in Los Angeles and in, you know, wherever, they can all have a look at it and see how the story is developing, how certain characters are coming across. And then they still have another three or four months of filming and half their budget left so they can afford to then to maybe make a few tweaks and say, well, actually, no, we would like the story to go this way a little bit more. We want to develop this character in this way now. And, and maybe we'll reshoot a little bit of that so that at the end of the movie, this works out. This kind of ties together more more neatly. And so it's a, it's a real luxury to be able to do that. But of course, on the day when you're about to shoot and somebody walks up and hands you a page with a whole new speech to say, then <laughs> it's slightly terrifying. But, but it's... Uh, all part of the fun you know once it's been done kind of professionally and and um you know and everyone's been respectful to each other then then it's always a it's always a, an exciting thing it certainly would be so when you're given a script how do you go about unpacking everything that takes place and developing your character <laughs> well i start by trying to identify with that character from my own perspective that's the kind of the main thing that i do how would i react in these situations uh, whatever he's facing and then it's it's for me it really starts with conversations with the director and conversations with the writer seeing where they are coming from and what they want to get from the story and how i can then influence that and how i can unpack the emotional baggage of this character and and make it relevant to me and then hopefully make it relevant to an audience um, but then there are a million different things you know understanding exactly where the characters come from and where they think they're going and what gets in the way what are the obstacles what are their hopes and their dreams their desires what do they what do they want to do who do they want to be and what's in the way of that those are the kind of the, the main things you want to well the main things I like to identify early on mm. and then it's about responding to everyone else that you're working with what your fellow actors are going to bring to each scene and to, into their characters, things that you're definitely not going to have necessarily picked up on in your reading of the script. Um, and then just allowing that all to boil together and hopefully come out with something, with something engaging and interesting. And what do you do when you're given a character or a script and you can't connect with a character and you can't make it work for you? Um, I tend not to do it, but, um, but you mean that like if I'm already doing the, project or, yeah. or, or if I'm just like reading it um, you can always you can always make it you can always make it relevant to you I mean I've been fortunate enough now certainly recently to have been working with some pretty talented writers so that, that hasn't really come up to be honest but it's your job as an actor to make it to make it believable to make it real so if all else fails then I would grab the other actor and you know set aside and just kind of go through the scene several times and then just make sure you are you are living in the moment and that you are creating something in that moment that you believe in and hope that it's that it somehow crosses over with what <laughs> with what the writer has written but uh, but it's it's a rare I, I can't really think of many or any times in my career that's happened um like I said I've, my, in theater I've been doing plays written by these geniuses and the last few films and TV shows I've been a part of have been made to a very high standard by by the writers and the directors. So that's um, not something I come across that often, thankfully. Yes, yeah, certainly. And one of the films that you were recently a part of was uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which is obviously set in the Harry Potter world and mm. it's one of the largest franchises mm. ever. How did that come about? <laughs> 
same thing really it was uh, that was actually much quicker um and that was much quicker they just sent uh they sent me they sent me a scene uh, early on in these in the casting process uh, for these for these movies nobody reads a script there's other oh, often isn't a script and if there is they're certainly not sending it to me um you know i think eddie might have read a read a draft earlier on probably not eddie redman i mean and um but so they're usually scenes they're often scenes that aren't even going to be in the movie they're just scenes that are written specifically to kind of get at the kernel of the character that that they send out to see what people do with uh but yeah so they sent me one of those and i made a i made a self-tape at home i was away so i made a self-tape um in a hotel room actually and uh and emailed that over to uh uh to david yates and um and yeah, they just kind of rang me about a week later and then they sent a car down to me and picked me up and drove me. I was back in London then and drove me up to Warner Brothers Studios to have a to have a tea with David and uh, and have a chat about it. And, and then he asked me in the room if I wanted to do it. Well, he knew I wanted to do it, but I uh, said he wanted me to do it. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was very strange and very quick, um, but very, very, very exciting. It was great. And what was an average day on set of Fantastic Beasts like? Similar to Mortal Engines, you know, they're both they're both of a similar scale. I think Fantastic Beasts is a much bigger budget, but but the the sets the I, the thing I remember most strongly about the about the days walking around the place when I'm not working, when I'm not shooting, or the sets, the the detail in the world that they that both those studios built. Um, but but in terms of Harry Potter or in terms of Fantastic Beasts, they, I mean, they built. There's a scene at the end of that movie where it's raining and um, and we're all outside, and like all all the cast are outside of various locations, and they had really built. It looks like it's in that we've gotten a corner of New York City and and dressed it up a bit, you know, to make it look like the 1920s. But they actually rebuilt about a three three block section of 1920s New York with a working tram and with actual stone buildings and. Um, and hundreds of extras just running around the place, and all, all in the most magnificent costumes. And for for an actor, certainly an actor playing a supporting role, to walk into that is it leaves it, it means you have less to do. Like like we were talking about, what do you do if you're if you're dealing with something that you maybe you don't believe in? But this makes it so easy. You're just in the world, whether you like it or not. You're a part of it, whether you like it or not. So. It's just, uh, it's a really joyous thing to be able to step onto something like that. But um, but it's quite a calm process through, like, they, they, David Yates, that was his fifth film in the Harry Potter universe, so he knew he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and Eddie Redmayne and Colin Farrell and all these amazing actors, Catherine Waterson. So <clears throat> it was... Um, it was unnervingly calm. Everyone was unnervingly calm, like focused and driven, and the stakes were high. But it was a, a really, really nice atmosphere to step into as a supporting character because they were all there for six months, and I was there for six weeks, I think. So um, it's important the energy that you find when you step in can can vary on those larger projects. But that one in particular was very open, very calm, very focused, um, and made my job so much easier mm. and you have been working in the entertainment industry for quite a while now so how do you think it's evolved since you first started working um oh well quite a lot certainly in the last few years um i mean i think it's only evolving 
to its benefit, certainly in terms of more uh, uh, minority communities being represented, more women getting involved in the industry at a higher level. Um, so certainly in the last two or three years, I've I've definitely noticed a, uh, a significant change in that. Not enough of a change, really, but it's uh, it's quite an exciting time uh, to be a part of the industry and to to watch the types of stories that are being told and that are being developed changing, in my opinion, quite quickly. Um, and I'm working on something now called The Rook, a TV show for the Stars Network, which is like a Lions, Lionsgate network in the States. And I, I get, there's a woman in the, is a lead role, and our two showrunners are women, and the head of Lionsgate is a woman, and there's women across the board on this project. And it's, it's great. It's just great. It just makes you wonder why it wasn't always like that, to be honest. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, I'm really enjoying that side of it. Absolutely. And is there anything that you can tell us about your upcoming show, The Rook? Um, yeah, a little bit. It's, uh, I'm about to do some reshoots on that, actually, as a, <laughs> like we were talking about earlier. Um, and I've got bleach blonde hair on it, so I've got to go get my my head burnt again, covered in peroxide and everything next week. But um, it's a uh, it's a it's a, a paranormal thriller um, about a secret uh, a secret agency or a paranormal uh, a paranormal section of the British Secret Service. Um, and it deals with people with with strange powers, I suppose. It's not quite. It's not quite. It's not X Men. Nobody can fly or anything like that. But it's about uh, certain people with different abilities, variant abilities. Um, and the story focuses on this young woman called Niffany Thomas, played by Emma Greenwell. And the show starts with her waking up, uh, surrounded by eight dead bodies, uh, whom she assumes she has killed and no recollection as to how that has happened, who she is, where she is, what she does, or what's going on. And the first season follows her trying to put her life back together, trying to figure out who's trying to kill her, trying to figure out who's on her team and who's not. And, um, yeah, it's very exciting. It's very cool. That does sound very intriguing. Yeah, no, it's really cool. So I'm hopefully going to see quite a lot of it in the next few weeks, so I can't wait. Um, but I play one of her colleagues. I play Robert Gestalt, and I have uh, three of the siblings. And we're we're we play a hive mind. So we play we play one single being called Gestalt, who has four physical representations. And so we're four identical, or not identical. We're four almost identical blonde siblings uh, who share a consciousness. So we're permanently connected and uh, and can go anywhere. And we can all we all think the same thing, and we can all react to different things at different times in the same way or in different ways and um, so it's quite quite an interesting character for me to play because um, you have to be completely in sync with the other two actors with what you're doing um, emotionally and physically sometimes as well so it's quite quite an interesting challenge it certainly sounds like it and for our listeners who'd like to see this and stay updated with you and what else you've got going on where can they hmm. connect with you online uh, I have an Instagram and a Twitter um I'm not hugely I'm not hugely actually put on there and I do post things from on set and uh, um and I'm kinda learning. I'm kinda new to it all, so I'm kinda figuring it out. But uh <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I'll be do, I'll be getting more involved in that I think in the next year. Um and the rook is out on Stars Network in June, I think, so you'll be able to see that. And Mortal Engines is in cinemas now. 
Exciting times. Well, finally, before we let you go, what advice would you offer to anyone looking to work in the performance industry? I would be very wary of advice. That would be the first thing I'd say because everyone's everyone's journey through an industry as weird as, as weird as this is so so different um so i'm always wary like i'm always wary of giving too much advice but just don't be afraid to i would say don't maybe don't be afraid to make large changes to how you're approaching things if they're not working out you know i think uh, there are times certainly in my career and i've seen it with some uh, peers of mine where things are not going the way that that they want or the way that I want and you kind of can't just sit still and wait for things to happen uh, in this in this industry I think you've got to you've got to do something you've got to either write something or try and create something yourself or if it's not working out for you in the city that you're living in maybe look at moving to another city for for a while at least and having a go I feel it's an industry that responds to people who are who in, who like to move you know both emotionally and, and physically and so I guess that'll be some sort of some sort of advice I give, but really just think, just just always be thinking about it and always be thinking about how you can how you can move through it in a, in, a, in a in a positive way. Well, thank you so much for your advice and your time today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. That was my chat with the lovely Ronan Raftery. Now. As you may know, we are a production company and therefore we have a couple of shows in the second largest Fringe Festival in the entire world. That's right, the second largest Fringe Festival in the world is in Adelaide. It's got 1,350 shows over the space of just four weeks. So that's the Adelaide Fringe Festival. And in that, Preachers Podcast Online and On Stage are presenting Great Detectives 2 and uh, Hashtag Bunny Pastor's Hardly Trivial Trivia. Both of these shows are going to be fantastic. They are fun. I've loved producing them and working on them. Here's a little trailer for Great Detectives 2. After Great Detectives delighted audiences across the country for four years, Breach's podcast online and on stage are proud to debut Great Detectives 2. This brand new show features audience favourites Candy Matson and Johnny Dollar. Great Detectives 2 premieres from February 22nd. Join us for another night of mystery, intrigue and comedy. Tickets available now through Fringe Ticks. And tickets for Bunny Past It's Hardly Trivial Trivia are also available through Fringe Ticks. Links are in the show notes for the podcast. And if you're listening to this via the website, you may notice a brand new logo and completely new design for the website. We decided it was time to update the look and we hope you're enjoying that new look website and the new logo for Preacher's Podcast online and on stage, which obviously produces this show, Talk To Me. And I uh, hope the new website is a lot easier to navigate and it is compatible uh, for podcast streaming on all browsers. And as always, the podcast is available to stream on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever else you like to stream your podcasts. Thanks, as always, to our incredible supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas, Mad Zombie Collectibles, and uh, ZQ Racing Chairs. They're all in the podcast supporters section of the website, so go check out their details. And there are also some links in the show notes for this podcast. We'll be back with another exciting episode later in February, so look out for that. But until next time, I've been your host, Benjamin Mayer McKay. Bye for now.